0: the curse. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield, keeping you from harm. You will never worry about an attack of demonic forces at night, nor have to fear a spirit of darkness coming against you. Don't fear a thing. Whether by day or by night, demonic danger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil be launched against you, even in a time of disaster where thousands and thousands is being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. You will be a spectator as the wicked perish in judgment, for they will be paid back for what they have done. When we live our lives within the shadow of God Most High, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? God sends angels with special orders to protect you wherever you go, defending you from all harm. If you walk into a trap, they'll be there for you and keep you from stumbling. You'll even walk unharmed among the fiercest powers of darkness, trampling every one of them beneath your feet. For here is what the Lord has spoken to me. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield, keeping you from harm. You will never worry about an attack of demonic forces at night, nor have to fear a spirit of darkness coming against you. Don't fear a thing. Whether by day or by night, demonic danger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil be launched against you. Even in a time of disaster with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. You will be a spectator as the wicked perish in judgment, for they will be paid back for what they have done. When we live our lives within the shadow of God most high our secret hiding place we will always be shielded from harm how then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us God sends angels with special orders to protect you wherever you go defending you from all harm if you walk into a trap they'll be there for you and keep you from stumbling you'll even walk unharmed among the fiercest powers of darkness trampling every one of them beneath your feet for here is what the Lord has spoken to me because you loved me His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield keeping you from harm. You will never worry about an attack of demonic forces at night, nor have to fear a spirit of darkness coming against you. Don't fear a thing. Whether by day or by night, demonic danger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil be launched against you. Even in a time of disaster with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. You will be a spectator as the wicked perish in judgment, for they will be paid back for what they have done. When we live our lives within the shadow of God Most High, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? God sends angels with special orders to protect you wherever you go, defending you from all harm. If you walk into a trap, they'll be there for you and keep you from stumbling. You'll even walk unharmed among the fiercest powers of darkness, trampling every one of them beneath your feet. For here is what the Lord has spoken to me. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield, keeping you from harm. You will never worry about an attack of demonic forces at night, nor have to fear a spirit of darkness coming against you. Don't fear a thing. Whether by day or by night, demonic danger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil be launched against you. Even in a time of disaster with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. Spectator as the wicked perish in judgment, for they will be paid back for what they have done. When we live our lives within the shadow of God Most High, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? God sends angels with special orders to protect you wherever you go.
1: So glad that you're here this morning. It's going to be a great day in the Lord, and we're you that you're here. we thank you that God's presence is here. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks and praise. We you. We give you the highest praise this morning. And Lord, we thank you for filling this place
2: with your goodness and your glory. we just bless your name forever and ever in Jesus' name. Amen. let's worship the Lord. Again. stand together this morning, are you ready to worship? Hallelujah. Yeah.
1: It covers our sins. Oh, let let God love you today. Enter into His love today. Lord, we praise you and thank you. Thank you for your love. Your everlasting, unfailing, never-moving love. The love that changes things. The love that touches our hearts. The love that works miracles the love that sent your Son to this world. Thank you for showing us how much you love us. We have confidence in your love. Glory to your holy name. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Are you grateful for his love this morning? How he loves you? Oh, how he loves you. Glory to God. celebrate your love Lord. We thank you for your love, your steadfast love. Thank you Lord Jesus. We thank you Lord for your presence here in our midst. And Lord we thank you that you speak to us
2: she ho ye kya shanehko ta pa bahe aa ne yakashanehko aa ne ke ashanehko ne aka ha
1: it is my desire to take you higher i've blessed you with every spiritual blessing In heavenly places in Christ. I've seated you. With me. By my side. Come up higher. Come up to where I am. Stretch yourself. Lift up your hands. Enter into my presence. Says the Lord. Amen. Aren't you glad that we can enter into his presence? He said that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. And when you need mercy, you can find it there. You can find grace there. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you, Signature Worship Team. Don't they do an amazing job? We're so glad that you're here this morning. And if you're visiting, we just want to welcome you. And if you're watching, we welcome you as well. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, you know, we're a word church, right? Amen. And we like to speak the word because there's power. Jesus gave us his authority to speak his word. And when we speak his word, we have his results. Amen. So let's make our confession uh, based on faith. Jesus, Jesus is our Lord and Master, and, and we are always learning about him,
3: about him. His, his ways, and, and his kingdom. kingdom. He willingly we willingly and faithfully come to Jesus to
1: find rest for our souls. The Lord's yoke is easy and His burden is light. We do His will because it is our delight. His gentleness and humility give us peace and security. We choose to dwell in the shelter of the Most High and we remain secure and at rest in the Almighty's shadow.
3: He alone is our
1: refuge our fortress, our God in whom we trust. The Lord has rescued our life from death. He bountifully blesses us and is always good to us. Therefore, we rest in him. Because God's peace is with us and in us, we do not worry and we cast all our cares on him. We are confident in Christ and enter into his divine rest by faith. The Lord freely offers His rest to all of us, and And we receive it because we believe it.
4: God's rest refreshes our souls.
1: We are God's people,
4: and there remains a Sabbath rest
1: for us today. At victory, our vision is to reach out beyond our walls with the message of salvation, hope, and inheritance, to proclaim the uncompromising Word of God, to build a strong body of believers. And to encourage relationships in a loving atmosphere. We activate God's word to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. At Victory Christian Fellowship, we are inheriting God's promises and experiencing
3: their benefits. Amen. Amen. Good morning, VCS. All righty. So, as some of you know, um, when I do announcements, I share something that I've learned every week. Um, and this week, I learned a little bit more about lions. So, there's that scripture that says, the wicked run when no one's chasing them, but the righteous are bold as lions. And so, I was wondering, I, was, I know a little bit about lions, you know, that they're the king of the jungle, but I didn't really know, like, why too much, because um, if you got in a If tigers and lions ever got in, like, a one-on-one fight, the lion would lose. I was like, yeah. They're not as strong. Like, they are very strong, obviously, but, like, compared to some of the other animals in the kingdom, they're not, like, you know, on top, so to speak. Um, So I discovered what makes them, like, the king of the jungle is two things. It's, one, their fearlessness, and, two, it's the fact that they are always in groups. So that is their ability to, like, take down elephants while, um, like, tigers and stuff, like, can't beat them because tigers, panthers, all of those other big cats are, like, loners. So they're all by themselves, right? Because a tiger's ability to fight on, like, a hind legs, it would totally take out the lion. But lions are never by themselves. They're always in some sort of group and some sort of pack. The only competitors that they have are the hyenas. And that is because they are competing for the same resources, and hyenas are also in groups as well. Um, So when they, if you have groups on groups in the animal kingdom, it's like 50-50 on who wins. So, and that's just because the hyenas, like, there's a lot of them. Um, But they are still not considered the king of the jungle, and it comes down to attitude. So that's the fearlessness, because hyenas are also, like, scavengers, and they're kind of lazy, and they would prefer, like, somebody else kind of does all the work, and they'll just, like, follow up behind you kind of thing, and, like, the way they walk is, like, super funny, so (laughs) they don't look graceful or anything like that, so the reason that lions are considered that way is because how they walk, they rest, like, 20 hours out of the day, and then they walk onto the scene, and, like, they prefer to kill and, like, get their own stuff, and, Like, I learned that the cubs and stuff, like the male cubs, once they reach, like, two to three, they, like, force them out of the pride to go, like, conquer their own other piece of land and everything. Like, they do not tolerate laziness, but they rest. And then they walk gracefully wherever they go. (laughs) So I am excited that we are part of a church because that means that we are a group, and we have a group of lions, okay? We are graceful, and we are fearless, (laughs) And so I appreciate our pastors who have taught us all about being bold and confident and our purpose and our identity. So October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and so we celebrate all of our pastors, our youth pastors and our senior pastors, but appreciation goes beyond just October. So we want to appreciate them all throughout the year. And to help celebrate that, we want to send them on a vacation to somewhere in the Caribbean for them to relax and enjoy and rest like the kings and priests that we are. Because they are celebrating 20 years of being pastors at VCF and 25 years together. All right. And also for October and into November um, is our commission club. So for the month of October, um, we have a missions project for Bishop Keegan's orphanage in Kenya. Um, He kind of needs a new tent for it got, like, tattered over the years and just with storms and everything. So we would love to be a blessing and to help all of the children and, like, the ministry over in Kenya. And the Commission Club is also sending Dr. Fiona, my mom, Lisa, and myself (laughs) – to Guyana, um, and we leave on Saturday. I was shocked. I was like, <laughs> this was a fast thing, and I was like, it's coming up quick. So we leave this Saturday for Guyana, and we are excited to be a blessing to bless the children home. All right. Also, um, next Sunday, so in a week, is the first Sunday in November, which means it is the VCF Book Club for the ladies. So just as a reminder... that that is happening. And then also coming up soon is November 8th, which is voting. So this is just a reminder um, to exercise your right to vote. We have like booklets so you can look at the candidates and see their different views. But I'm so glad to live in the United States and where we have our constitution. So I'm voting. (laughs) And I encourage everyone to do the same. All right. This week then we have... Tuesday on the afternoon, we have This Generation, which is our youth program reaching out into Palmyra Middle School. And I love, like, their slogan, It's You and It's Now. So we are doing it now, and it is everybody involved, all hands on deck. Also on Tuesday, Tuesday evening, is then youth group, and that is from 6 to 8 p.m., That's our Air Force, New Generation Air Force, and as you can see, we always have, like, products to sell because, you know, we want, there's so many things that we want to do, but, you know, you kind of need money sometimes to fund them, so. (laughs) And then Wednesday is Wednesday Night Refreshing, and that is at 630, and I love coming to church on Wednesdays. It is refreshing, it's just, like, a joy that comes up and, like, a fountain of overflowing, (laughs) And then Thursdays is, um, in the afternoon is Bible Adventure. And that is similar to the youth program, except it's specifically targeted towards, like, elementary school. So that is grades three to five. And if you are interested in helping and volunteering with any of our programs, you can talk with Pastor Nadine or uh, Ms. Chris Frencheck. And I want to tell you one more thing that I learned, Okay. Um, uh, we had our men's conference over the past weekend and one of the products back there says burn the ships. And I honestly, I never understood that phrase because I was like, what a waste of time and material and resources to burn something because that takes a long time to build. (laughs) And I know there's a song out there about it and I never liked the song because I didn't understand it. Um, but I recently looked it up and fascinating helped me with that and burn the ships is a reference of like never turning back. So... Um, like Cortez, one of the early explorers, when he went to the new land, he burned the ships because him and his like crew, they were never going back to their old land. And it kind of forced them to like go forward and conquer the land and their enemies, although they weren't really their enemies, but like no one was going to come get them. And there was no turning back at that point. And that was like his message to be like, and we're doing it. And so you kind of like committed and dedicated at that point. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) All right. That's everything for our announcements.
1: <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Well, glory to God. You guys ready to enter into another level today? I want to read you something from a book authored by Doug Pishka. You might know him. Now, if you know me, you know that I love adjectives, and um, I wrote this book called Freely You Have Received, Freely Give, and uh, I love these adjectives that describe generosity, and uh, the words are lavish, liberal, plentiful, big-hearted, open-handed, and charitable. And uh, I love these words. And they all describe having a generous heart. And, um, you know, God wants us to be generous people. And uh, we can enter into the realm of extravagance today in our giving. You know, I was thinking about this before worship. You know, Jesus never turned away a gift that honored him no matter how small or how great it was. He didn't, he didn't criticize the woman who gave two mites or two coins. That's all she had. He considered that an extravagant gift. And he certainly he came against the critics who criticized the woman who gave the alabaster box, which amounted to a year's wage And uh, because both those gifts honored him. And you know what? We're giving people. And we have a guest this morning. His name is John George. I'm going to tell you about him in just a moment. And you have an opportunity today to invest in the kingdom of God. And uh, I don't want you to just do something. I want you to do your best. Do the best you can. If the best you can is a small amount, then give that best. If the best you can is a larger amount, give that larger amount. Amen? And uh, But we like blessing people. So we're going to bless the ministry of uh, John George today. And when you give your extra, just mark it guest, and then we always add to that and uh, give him more, amen? Because that's what we do. And uh, so, um, I want to read you a scripture that uses the word lavish from the Amplified. It's in Second Corinthians chapter 8, and I want to read this uh, to you, Verse, verses 2 and 3. Hallelujah. Here's what the Bible says about this. I'm going to get there in just a second. Technology. Hallelujah. Here we go. All right. This was uh, talking about the churches in Macedonia. And it says for during and ordeal they were actually um, wanting to give. They were like, say, can we give, can we give, can we give? That's my paraphrase. I mean, they were excited about wanting to give. He says, for during an ordeal, this is verse 2, of severe distress. Oh, I thought you couldn't give in severe distress. That's the best time to give. Because that, that gets you out of your distress. Their abundant joy, there's abundant joy in giving. Amen? How many are excited to give? Hallelujah. All right. And their deep poverty. Oh. Wow, they're just they're just blowing the mold here, aren't they? <laughs> Together overflowed in the wealth of their lavish generosity. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability they gave voluntarily begging us insistently for the privilege of participating in the service for the support of the saints in Jerusalem, or in this case, Palmyra. Amen? Amen. Now, John's a brave man. He comes from Texas into Philly country. (laughs) I know that this World Series is going on, but... uh, Amen. If you're you're here and you want to give, you can give any time during the service. We have our container there and a container as you come in. Mark what you give, uh, uh, any extra for your guest. If you're giving online or if you're watching this, you can give online that way. Amen. And I'm going to pray over you. And uh, Father, we just give you thanks and praise for your ability to give. And Lord, we thank you that it is giving to the kingdom of God. It's sowing to the king of kings. And, Lord, you're going to receive it, and in turn, you're going to bless it and reward the giver. And I speak that blessing over the givers. I call them prosperous, provided for, and protected in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, we're doing a kid's life today. So we, we have kid's life. That stands for kids living in faith every day. You know we want our kids to live in faith. Amen. So, kids, we want to dismiss you today. Go to your class. Have a great and wonderful class. Be blessed. Hallelujah. We're going to have to work on our cheers sending them out. I want kids to know that church is exciting and fun. Amen. Well, I'll tell you what, today is a very power-packed day. And uh, we are so blessed and so honored to have uh, Pastor John George here with us and uh he wants to begin a righteous revolution hallelujah and uh he uh, he's been in the ministry for 43 years he's uh, traveled to many different countries many different states i think he said he's been to 47 states and uh he's a football player he played football in high school and college And uh, he, he realizes that there's a glaringly obvious leadership crisis in the world today. John believes that it's due to a fatherhood crisis and a generation of men shrieking from responsibility of leading their families from the timeless values and principles of the Word of God. And he came from a broken and dysfunctional home. He was desperate for real leadership uh, in his life, coaches, teachers, school leaders helped fill the void, but it wasn't until a man of God came into John's life that he began to overcome his deficiencies by walking in submission and authority to the godly position that he now flourishes in. John has since invested into the lives of countless young and adult men throughout the nations. He trains men and women of honor through advances, outreaches, and church weekends all year long he encourages men to identify with their heavenly father uh, more than their earthly fathers with the understanding of the scriptures of those that uh, they are they that are in Christ and he teaches us to identify with Christ not the culture amen and uh he enjoyed some of the finest uh high school and college coach, coaching and godly leadership uh he's been married to his uh wife, Darlene, for many years, and they have uh, two adult-grown children, and we're so glad that he's here with us today. And, man, I want you to give a warm VCF welcome for Brother John George as he comes and ministers the Word. Thank
5: you. Thank you. Good morning. Hallelujah. We had a good time? I I, I like learning about lions. I, uh, you know, we are sheep. Jesus called us that, but He said, "We are bold as lions." And uh, regarding the shirt back there that says "Burn the ships," let me tell you a little bit about that. Uh, it was the year 1519. anybody remember that at all? anybody remember 1519? Hernando Cortez left. He was he was a Spaniard. Uh, one of the great explorers that we that's one of the things I learned in history long before I knew the word of God he departed with 11 ships and fi- less than 500 men not all soldiers from Cuba or as you say in Spanish Cuba so they left Cuba and they wanted he he tried to impress upon the Spanish king for many years, decades, that they wanted to push further westward because they knew that there were more resources and more trading opportunities westward. They'd heard different things, and they wanted to continue to go westward to discover more lands, to discover more and develop more relationships, etc., etc. You know, that's why we have... Uh, in the United States alone, we have so many missions. Uh, I was just in St. Augustine, the oldest incorporated city in the United States, uh, just a month ago. And then I'm going to San Diego in December. San Diego has Mission San Diego. All of these were founded by these Spanish explorers. And so when he finally raised enough money to 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 finance this trip, you know, as she said, that ships are very expensive, and uh, they, you know, there were no cars then, so there were no trains. Ships were the primary mode of transportation around the world, especially on the seas. And as you know, the Earth is mostly water, so it was. They were used as a mode of transportation. They're extremely valuable. They were the trucks, the freighters, et cetera, et cetera. They would travel up and down. Um, I was just in um, uh, New York last week, and uh, you see how through the St. Lawrence waterways you see how all the the ship traffic came o- o- through Canada and through the northern states and came into the Great Lakes, and then they built the Erie Canal, so. We know that they were, you know, the Erie Canal, I, I crossed over it at least a dozen times in my travel last week, but I didn't see any ship traffic on it. Why is that? Because we have highways and trucks now and trains. But before highways, before trucks, the Erie Canal would be extremely busy because it was a great uh, avenue of And it goes hundreds of miles all the way across the state of New York. So we would have great, those great waterways were used as a a period of commerce. The same thing in 1519. And so they, he finally got enough money to get those ships. There were 11 ships, less than 500 men. You know, and back then there weren't any grocery stores. There, were, there was no Amazon.com. You couldn't order your groceries on Walmart.com and have them delivered. So what did you have to do? You had to take your supermarket with you. So they had to take chickens for eggs. They had to take goats for milk. They had to take cattle for milk and for beef and on and on. They had to, they, they, they would grow a garden on the decks of some of these ships. And so they would have sustenance because they just couldn't eat corn and grain all the time. They had to have greens, et cetera, et cetera, because when those ships would uh, go, they don't go very fast, especially back then, because they were relegated by the wind. So Cortez finally landed across the Gulf of Mexico at what we know today as Veracruz, which is in eastern Mexico. And it's Veracruz, if you look on a map, Veracruz has a tremendous bay and, and, a, and, a, and a safe harbor. And so they landed there, and the Indians were friendly. And they traded with the Indians, and they fellowshiped with the Indians, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But all along there on the coast, where it's mountainous, they could see fires up in the hills above the harbor. And they would ask these Indians, and they would translate, they would ask them, what is going on up there? They said, oh, those, those are the Aztecs. They didn't call them that then, but we know them as the Aztecs. And the Aztecs killed off, because they were pagan, the Aztecs killed off all the other Indians in Mexico. And that's why you have the Mayans in southern Mexico into Central America. And then you have the Incans. All of these were great, great kingdoms, the Indian kingdoms and native kingdoms. But the Aztecs were in Mexico, and they hated all the others, and they would kill them off. But this is a surviving group at Veracruz, because they were friendly. But the Aztecs, who governed all of Mexico, wanted no intruders to come to their nation, to their lands. And so they began to gather and Cortez and his, and his men were outnumbered, listen to this, 500 to 1, insurmountable odds. They had six cannon. They pulled the cannon off the ships because that, they, they were not, they were not, uh These were not military ships, these were trading ships. Military ships have you know dozens of cannon on each ship. but because these guys were traders, they weren't trying to you know overwhelm et cetera, et cetera. The only reason they had cannon is to is to keep pirates at bay. So what happened is they figured out very quickly that these Aztecs are mounting, an invasion against them and they're going to be murdered right there on the beach if they didn't do something so one night after a few weeks cortez gathered his officers and his leaders and he said i want you i want you to take two men out to your ship each ship had a captain I want you to take two men out to your ship in the rowboats, and I want you to remove everything off the ships of value and bring them to shore. That took all night. And then what do we do? Burn the ships. There will be no retreat. Now, what did that do? That emboldened his men and his soldiers that emboldened them, we're not going back. There's no retreat. We're advancing forward. But what did it also say to the Aztecs in the mountains? Number one, this man is crazy. (laughs) Number two, We're in for it. They're coming against us, and they're not backing down. You see, their sheer numbers would overwhelm most people. You understand that's what's going on today in our society. The church is outnumbered. The culture is outnumbering the church. There are more people sitting home at St. Mattress this morning than at Victory Christian Fellowship. Come on, far more. There are more people in the ball fields around America this morning, which troubles me. Everywhere I go, every week, I I drive on these freeways or these side roads or whatever, getting to a church, and I see these full parking lots, and I'm thinking, wow, what's going on there? And I'll get up past the trees and see that it's soccer fields or baseball fields. And those Those parents think in some way, some measure, that their child is going to get the big contract or they're going to become a pro earlier or they're going to get a college scholarship or they're going to start on the varsity. Here's the problem with that mentality. Only 2% of any level of sporting activity, any sport, only 2% graduates to the next level. Only 2% of those go to the next level. And 2% is generous. It's actually less than that. 2% only get to the next level. You understand, there are 32 teams in the National Football League. Their roster is 53 maximum. Then they have about 15 on the practice squad that they can pull from. And that's it. That's less than 2,000 players in the NFL. There are over 2 million high school football players. 20,000 Division I players. There are 105 Division I schools in America, football teams. 20,000. Only 2,000 get to the NFL. How many millions of little leaguers do you think there are? Over 20 million. So only 2% graduate to the next level. But 100% of all of those children, boys and girls and parents that are checking God off their list, 100% of those are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's more important to get your kids in church than it is at the ball field. Come on, somebody. We need to burn the ships. It took Cortez and his men three months to get to what we know as Mexico City. It was an Indian name back then that is about this long with only three vowels. There's no way I could pronounce it. And I've been all over Mexico and I know, I know all the history, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, there's some stuff I don't know, but I, I know the boat, I've been over 50 times to Mexico. So I know, I know a whole lot of, about Mexico and Central and South America. But what had to be done is they went as friendly. That's why they only had six cannon and 11 ships. They went as friendly. They're traders. They're not they're not invaders. But because the head of the Aztecs, we know him by his name Montezuma, the head of the Aztecs was not willing to trade and not willing to become friendly with anybody else. That he was building an invasion and an attack against them. Well word spread back to Mexico City that Cortez and his soldiers, they mean business. And it took them three months <clears throat> to get to Mexico City, but they took over Mexico City even though they were outnumbered five hundred and one. Why? Because they were bold as a lion. And they stuck together, even though they were severely outnumbered. So that's what that shirt, Burn the Ships, is about. It's something that I taught many, many years ago, and then we just created those, uh, those T-shirts just a few years ago. If we don't have your size, you can order them online, and you can uh, find uh, information more about that. Uh, turn in your Bible, if you would, to Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to give you a minute to get there. But I, I found something on the internet. I think I think would uh, help you. Uh, how many of you are cat people? Okay, God bless you. How many of you are dog people? That's the majority. How many of you are cat and dog people? That's that's a problem because the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. <laughs> But I found this on the internet and printed it out, and since it's on the internet, it has to be true, right? So it says, how to wash a cat. You know, as you know, cats don't like, you know, I see videos all the time of, of, of uh, lions waiting for prey, but the prey will go out into the water, and the lions won't go out there because they hate water. Now, tigers will go after something in the water, but not lions. Um, But number one, it says, put both lids of the toilet up and add an eighth of a cup of pet shampoo into the water and in the bowl. Number two, pick up the cat and soothe him while you're carrying him towards the restroom. Number three, in one smooth motion, put the cat in the toilet, close the lid. You may have to sit or stand on the lid. Number four, at this point, this is my favorite, the cat will self-agitate, create ample suds, never mind the noises that come from the toilet, because the cat is actually enjoying this. Number five, flush the toilet two or three times. This provides a power wash and rinse. Number six, have someone open the front door of your home. Be sure that there are no people between the bathroom and the front door. Number seven, stand well back, lift the toilet seat as fast as you can, move out of the way. Number eight, the cat will rocket out of the toilet, out of the restroom, and run through uh, the home. Outside will dry himself off. Number nine, both the toilet and the cat will be sparkling clean. (laughs) Sincerely yours, the dog. So those of you who have both, you know what your dog is thinking. Okay. There's no way that I have time to communicate everything I'd like to. Our newest series is back there on the table. It's called Formidable Faith for the Last Days. The Lord gave me this message in 2020 because of the level of fear in the church in 2020. And we have to understand something about what's taking place in our country and our world COVID-19 is nothing compared to what's coming. And what will the church do? How will the church operate? How will the church function? We can't handle, the, regarding the church, we can't handle another 2020 debacle. We're talking about a man-made virus that was weaponized primarily against the United States of America which affected the whole world, but it was weaponized against the United States. The Lord woke me up on February 13th, 2020. I was not thinking about COVID. There wasn't a COVID death until the end of March. I was thinking about, oh my gosh, I don't have anything for my wife on Valentine's Day yet. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. But when he woke me up, he gave me two words. Sinister plot sinister plot now again i'm not thinking anything about covid the mayor of new york city at the time said ride the subways there's no problem dr flip-flop falsie <laughs> said no need to wear a mask that's from their their voice their words no need to wear a mask California, the governor of California said, "There's no danger whatsoever." Blah blah blah. They went into great detail. Pork Barrel Pelosi said, "Oh, everything's safe. Get get out there and operate in operate in in, in commerce, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. So I wasn't thinking COVID. So Lord, what is this sinister plot? About. Is it against me? Is it coming against my marriage, my family, our ministry? And he laid it out for me. By March 1st, he laid it all out. He gave me scripture for it. In Corinthians, it says, the familiar verse to us, that we being not ignorant of Satan's devices. That's the scripture he gave me. I believe it's 1 Corinthians 2 9. I. I I could be wrong, but it's it's right there somewhere. I looked up that scripture in my Greek dictionary and I found the word sinister. You know everything the devil does is sinister. It's evil. It's a plot. The devil is not your friend. Thank you for enthusiasm. I said the devil is not your friend. He's on, the, he's on the attack. He wouldn't be a good devil if he didn't steal and kill and destroy. But that's all he does. That's all he's about. That's all he wants to do. And yet, we have many, even in the church, that play right into his hand. How does that work? What about Halloween right now? How many Christians are celebrating Halloween? I mean celebrating Halloween. Decorating for Halloween. Thinking that it's okay. Watching scary movies all the time. You're playing right into the devil's sinister plot against your home. You're building fear into the life of your children. You wonder why your kids have nightmares? Come on. Hello. You're introducing fear through all these. And, you know, we used to just have a month of these movies. Now we have daily and weekly series about zombies, walking dead. Come on. It's bizarre. I know all about fear. My my mom took my brother and I, for the first time that I remember, we went to a drive-in theater. We did not have a car. It was about a quarter mile from our projects. And our mom, because we didn't have much money, she had us pop popcorn. My brother and I learned how to pop popcorn in this big Uh, uh, This big container, Uh, it was a pressure cooker, and we wouldn't put the lid on it to pop the popcorn because it was a thick aluminum pressure cooker. So we learned to pop the popcorn, and we filled up a grocery bag with popcorn, greasy popcorn. And, you know, back then you used Crisco or, you know, butter or something like that or both. You know, neither one of them were healthy for your veins. But anyway, then we mixed Kool-Aid, took it in a thermos. We had some lawn chairs, and so we had three lawn chairs, and we hiked up there a quarter of a mile, and we get in line behind all the cars, and cars would move up, and then we'd move up. Cars would move up, and then we'd move up. We're holding our lawn chairs. We're carrying our our popcorn and our thermos of Kool-Aid. And a teenager is there at the gate. Anybody remember uh, uh, outdoor movie theaters? Anybody remember drive-in theaters? There's a few making a comeback, but for the most part, you know, they're they're in museums. So a teenager is running the booth up there, and they said, where's your car? We don't have a car. He said, well, it's $3 a car, and since you don't have a car, I'm not going to charge you the $3, so just go on in. So we saw this movie for free. They're not getting anything out of us. They're not selling their $3 or what? Well, wasn't it wasn't that much them. They're not going to get us on popcorn or drinks or candy. But that movie was Night of the Living Dead. It was the first zombie movie. It was a high-budget film of about $10,000. I'm joking, you know, they didn't spend much money on it. No known actors, etc. And they still show that film today. It is like the benchmark film of zombie movies. Some type of, uh, you know, nuclear fallout happened and then these, you know, the dead people were coming and, you know, coming out of the graves. And, you know, I, I won't I'll go into the detail because I, uh, I know some of you haven't had lunch or had a breakfast, but. Or maybe you haven't, and I don't want to make you sick. But it, it, it was vile. It was scary. It's far worse today. And I'd already had problems with nightmares. But folks, the devil is real. He's a thief, and he comes to steal and to kill, not or, and to kill and to destroy. And we've got to stand up to him. So what is formidable faith? It's Bible faith. What does formidable mean? Powerful, tough, strong, and intimidating. Now I want to show you something. The Lord told me in February of 2020 that this attack is against three entities. Again, I'm not even thinking COVID, but the sinister plot is against three entities. Number one, against the church. I won't go into the other two because I'm dealing with the church today. This is worth writing down. On March 1st, 2020, there were 256,000 evangelical churches in the United States of America. 256,000 churches. March 1st, 2022, there were 155,000. We lost 101,000 churches in two years. That's never happened in history, ladies and gentlemen. Never in history. I had people, when I put up those three things in social media, I even had pastors poo-poo me You're you're wrong. No way this could be true. This is not a sinister plot against the church. I know what the Lord told me. And 101,000 churches were lost in America in two years. We've never had that happen by far in in all of history. Just think if there's just 10 people in 101,000 churches. the church ran scared many are still running scared hello and i'm not talking the church being the pastor although that's part of it but the people they weren't scared to go to walmart the supermarket weren't scared to go to work hello but not to church come on it was bizarre in my state, Texas, our governor and our attorney general sent out emails and communiques to each church st- telling us that the church is essential in Texas and the shutdown order will, will not be for churches. You do not have to close. We did not close and we were the only church in a town of 20,000 that has 76 churches. We were the only one that did not shut down. Many of them have still not reopened, and many of them will not open again. It was a sinister plot against the body of Christ. Why? Why? Because the devil hates churches. And the government wanted to shut, and the devil himself wanted to shut the church down to shut the church up. Why? Why? Because we were the last voice of spiritual authority in the earth. Think about it. That's why the devil, men, is attacking homes, marriages. That's why he's attacking men. That's why he's demasculinizing our boys. And if you don't realize that's happening, what cave have you been living in the last ten years? It's happening right before our very eyes. And we, the church, must rise up and stop the stupidity. And it's not going to happen by being passive. We need to be men. Come on, somebody. We need to realize where we are and what's going on in this day. And we have to develop Bible faith, which is formidable faith. Those are the words that God gave me. Amen? Amen? Somebody over here like to have this at all? There you are. We love you at the back, but we don't give anything to the cheap seats. <clears throat> this is our second newest series called The Language of Faith. You need to learn the language of faith. What is the language of faith? It's Bible faith. You need to develop your vernacular about faith. In any field, if you're in the medical field, if you're in the construction field, if you're in the clerical field, if if if, if, if you're in aviation, if you're in... if if you're in government, whatever field, if you're in dental work or whatever, whatever you're in, there's a vernacular you must learn to become successful. You know, I've flown right seat. I told the guys I've flown right seat and uh, uh, lots of different aircraft over the years from from old de Havilland float planes to uh, Citation jets, Cessna Citation, Citation jets, You put on the headphones and you learn the vernacular. You learn the vernacular very quickly. You can't get on the radio and say, breaker, breaker, whatnot, hey, good buddy. They're not going to let you take off. Right? The last thing you want to hear in surgery or in the dental chair is, hey, uh, uh, nurse, can you give me that whatchamacallit that goes on the thingamajig? Right? So there's a vernacular in every area. Right? If you're going to be successful, if you work as a teller, you work in banking, if you're going to be successful in any field, you've got to learn the vernacular of that field. Even if you stay in the same field and change companies, you've got to learn a different vernacular. Come on, somebody. I'm meeting my oldest grandson tomorrow in, in Baltimore, where I flew in, and uh, he is an air traffic controller at Dover Air Force Base in Delaware. So he and I, we talk aviation vernacular, and he's, you know, I, I knew a lot more before before he did, but now he is highly skilled and highly developed, and he knows all the he knows every bit of it. He's, he, he, he is the youngest, the youngest in the Air Force to pass the test that he's passed. And he's highly skilled. He's highly developed in it. As a teenager, he worked as a director and producer at a television station. That meant that he 's got headphones on and he 's hearing constant communications from camera people from producers etc etc, and he 's adjusting and doing different things he's the one that, that uses the fader to turn the lights up the lights down the camera's on the camera's off, etc etc he 's the one switching the camera from this camera view to that camera view he 's constantly getting this information so that 's why he 's so good at air traffic control because he he was skilled and developed at that. He's also a great chef. He worked at one of his first jobs and worked in a, in, a, in a supermarket that had a deli and had a grill. And he, he, would, he would create all kinds of things at once. And, you know, if you're one of those, one, of the, you know, that was a cook, but it be, he became a chef. But you, you have to take all these orders and have all these dozens of orders at one time. You have to be really organized and all these different things. It sounds like a grandma at Thanksgiving. (laughs) But there's a vernacular. We understand that about every field, but when it comes to the things of God, we kind of take this chill pill and say, well, if God wants me healed, if God wants me blessed, he knows where I live, he'll just get it to me somehow. That's like saying your banker who has access to your accounts when he sees them go low, he's just going to automatically fill them up. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. So you've got to learn the vernacular of faith. Well, is that King James vernacular? Is it NIV vernacular? It's Bible vernacular. It's Jesus talk. Jesus didn't talk fear. Jesus never said, man, that scares the fooey out of me. Jesus never said, yeah, boys, that's the worst storm I've ever seen. What are we going to do? Huh? He didn't talk like that, did he? Why are you talking like that? Jesus never said when the disciples came with all these problems, I I, I just don't know what we're going to do. Why do we talk like that? Hello? It got quiet. Victory Presbyterian got quiet. Folks, this is a common problem, and this is how the church gets defeated. This is why people are dying prematurely in our churches. This is why people aren't getting their prayers answered. This is why people quit the faith. We're willing to learn all this other stuff everywhere else to be successful, but we're not willing to study to show ourselves approved ourselves. We're going to rely on pastor's faith on Dr. Fiona's faith when we're not developing our own faith. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Anybody over here like to have this? All right, ma'am, right there. I won't throw it at you. Have you found Romans 8 yet? I've been waiting for you. What I want to talk to you about today is the single most vital aspect of the new birth the single most spiritual thing you could ever do in your life is to get born again that's the greatest miracle in history the born again experience that you can believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and go to heaven That's the single most miraculous thing you could ever do. That's the most spiritual thing you could ever have, that could ever happen in your life. That's the greatest miracle. That you go from death to life. That you go from the the law of sin and death to the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's the single most greatest thing that could ever happen in your life. But what do we do between the born again experience and heaven? What do we do? Why are so many defeated? Why are so many depressed? Why are so many on drugs and alcohol? Why, why do we have so much chaos going on? Listen to me carefully. We're under assault. We're under attack. It's not just our men. It's our, the ho- our whole way of life as believers. The world hates us and they stir every believer and they stir everybody with the same in the same pot. They think people like us who are tongue talkers and are Bible believers are like Jim Jones of, of Jonestown, Guyana. They really do. Why? Because that's the that's the picture that the devil paints. But we're not those people. We're Bible people. We're believers. We're living it the right way. What do we have to be ashamed of? Why are we so intimidated? Fearful. We need to rise up and be the church again. We need to have a voice in our community. We need to have a voice in our nation. We need to have a voice over political issues. We're Americans. Come on. We don't have a democracy. Democracies have a short shelf life. Again, history was one of my minors in college. I studied all the empires. This is not a democracy. This is a representative constitutional republic. Democracies have a really short shelf life because it ends up with mob rule. And that's what they're trying to do right now. It's wrong that that a man attacked Nancy Pelosi's husband in California this week. But they already blamed, within hours, they already blamed people that are conservative. The president says, stop the vitriol. Wait a minute. Your leader's said they they should people should attack at restaurants and in public anybody that believes differently than them and what did they do the summer of 2019 they burned down many of our cities and over 60 people were murdered those weren't conservatives they were running through the streets portland is still being burned every night seattle is still being burned every night come on somebody i travel and i see this stuff everywhere i was in minneapolis just a few weeks ago you the all this the downtown which was beautiful before is now still boarded up half of downtown it's not because Husbands and fathers and mothers and children are down there that believe in conservative values are down there tearing up downtown Minneapolis. It's not that. It's the woke. It's the radical left. This is not a political rally today. This is a Christian rally. But let me tell you, I'm John George and I approve this message. We have to stand up. My senators know me. Your senators should know you. My representative knows me. My congressman knows me. My state reps know me. They know me through email and they know me through my face. Some of them even know my name. And not, I've, that's been that way for many, many years. I've prayed for every president since Jimmy Carter, and evidently, I didn't pray hard enough for him. I prayed for every one of them at the White House. Some of them physically, where I shook hands with them and were, was able to lay my hand on their shoulder, and pray for them personally. Most of them were either I would get in the White House and pray walk around the grounds on tours. I have friends in Washington that operate in government places, and I've been able to get White House passes and when nobody else was able to get them. But the least thing I will do, and I will do it again tomorrow, I will get out there on Pennsylvania Avenue, And I will walk up and down the sidewalk, and I will pray out loud, in public, in tongues. I've done it for all these years, and I will continue to do it, whether I voted for the gentleman or not. You understand why? Because the Bible says I am to pray for them. You mean you pray in tongues out in front of the White House? You bet I do, and I pray loud. Well, why do you do that? Well, first of all, the Bible says that we're praying with the understanding and pray with the Spirit. I don't know what to pray in every detail because not everything is open. I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about information. It's not all open. So I pray in the Spirit because I'm praying accuracies in the Spirit realm when I pray in the Holy Ghost. So one night I'm praying... And I'm walking up and down, of course, across in, in Lafayette Park, right across the street, there's always protests of some kind, banners and all kinds of stuff set up there, all kinds of radical stuff. It's, uh, and it's all leftist. I've ne- never seen any positive stuff over there. So I'm walking up and down. And you understand that there's so many foreign people there, they don't know what language I'm talking And, it, and it's mostly foreign tourists that are there, not Americans. And there's this light pole right there. And there is a, a secret service, uniform secret service, on a Segway, the two-wheel scooter. And so I caught his eye and he did this. I thought I was in trouble. So I walked over there, I said, yes, sir. He said, he said, you're spirit-filled, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. He said, I am too. And I, I pray in the spirit here every night and every day. I'm on duty. I just can't pray as loud as you do. And I said, that's good. Because my nephew is also secret Service, And he's not uniformed. He served four presidents, and he's spirit filled You see, it's important that we stand up for what we believe. And we stop laying down and kowtowing down to the enemy. The enemy's a bully. And bullies don't only understand one thing, force. And sometimes that means a punch in the nose. Amen. Amen. See, we we so we so wussified our boys. We, we because we don't want to be loud. We don't want to be this. This is what my wife said. I told this. I told Pastor this because I, I told her about you know spending the last couple of days with the men, and she said, and and I and I, I didn't, I, didn't I, I mean I didn't say that this morning, but I, I didn't go into great detail. But she knows what I believe. She knows my stand, and she said this. She said, as a wife, if I could say this to the people, my wife is 70 years old. I'm 66. We've lived lived a good life. My wife was previously married to a loser. She was married to him before she was born again. They became born again together, spirit-filled together. And he walked out on three years later with a one-year-old daughter. So she's lived with two men her, her whole life, or three, with her dad. Her dad was very passive. He just let anything go on. Her first husband was very passive. He just let anything happen. And unbeknownst to her, he was having affairs with multiple women. She knew something was wrong in her spirit. But he came home one day and he said, I'm going to backslide. I want you to backslide with me. Use those very words. She said, I can't leave my father. He already knew that. And on Monday morning, the sheriff served her. That was Sunday afternoon. On Monday morning, the sheriff served her with divorce papers. In other words, he already had the ball rolling. He's with his fourth wife now. My wife was called in as a witness, a character witness, against him. It wasn't her choice, but she was subpoenaed with the second wife, by the second wife, to show how vile this man was. And he was that before they were born again. He was a druggie, he was a backslidden Baptist. He was a druggie. You know, the Bible says in in 2 Peter, it'd be better that you never heard the gospel than to hear the gospel, get get filled with with the Spirit of God, and turn your back on him. It would be better that you never heard because your life is going to be miserable. This man's life is miserable. He's a cripple now. He's devastated. The two other children he had are so messed up Drugs fried their brains, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera, because he's doing drugs right in front of them. And he's, in fact, since the children are out of here, my wife was called and she had to look at pictures of orgies that were taking place right in front of their small children. That's how vile this man is. Three and a half years later, God gave her a real man. I don't say that boasting in me. I say that boasting in what Pastor shared earlier. Even though I had coaches, even though I had great teachers, I didn't become a man until I got submitted unto a man of God, a strong man of God. Folks, the enemy is under attack excuse me under assault he's attacking us because he knows the time is very short very short and we have to stand up so my wife says if i could if i could tell the people this morning as a wife and as a woman i need a strong man to lead to fight for my marriage and to fight for my household to fight for my children Come on, somebody. That guy didn't fight at all. He just laid down, and look what, look what happened. And this is what she said. She said, I've noticed something. Having pastored 20 years, both of us, having been in the ministry over 40 years, serving in two churches for over 15 years, beyond the 20-year pastoring, Those men who do not stand up and become what God intended them to be will cave oftentimes with their marriage and their children and not stand up to the enemy against the onslaught of of the world, etc., etc., and not know how to stand in faith for their health, not know how to stand in faith and believe God for their family's health. Come on, somebody. Now, I've taught that for years and thought that for years, but when my wife said that, it it just rang a bell again. That's why this is so important. So what I'm talking to you about now is the single most important aspect of the new birth, and that is your identity in Christ. Pastor already mentioned it. He didn't know what I was going to speak on today. Say my identity in Christ. Let's look at this verse in the Amplified on the screen, Romans 8 29. And this will help us understand something. It says, For those he, for whom he foreknew, of whom he was aware and loved beforehand. So God, is, God has known you and loved you, not only before you were you, but from the beginning. Not your beginning. The beginning. Our minds can't even comprehend when the beginning was. You know, the Bible says over and over again, in the beginning. But we still don't know what beginning was. What that looked like, when it was. It's not on a calendar somewhere. It's not in a history book. It's not even in the Bible when that was. Because our minds couldn't handle it. So he knew us, and he knew us ahead of time and here's the good news. He loved us anyway. Turn to your neighbor and say, he still loved you. He loved us anyway. Now that's a good thing. And he also destined from the beginning for ordaining them to be molded. Say molded. molded. Into the image of his own. Son and share in His likeness, that He might become the firstborn among many brethren. I want you to focus on He molded us. In other words, He destined. You go to the previous screen. He He destined from the beginning for ordaining. Now, don't get into the weeds in predestination. But I want you to think through this, and you can take that down because people will cheat and they'll look ahead. And not pay attention to what I'm saying. Every one of us in this room. Every one of us in this entire building. From the youngest baby to the oldest individual. We've all created something. Why? Because we were created in his image and he's the creator. We're like him. You know that angels don't create anything? They're not made in the image of God. People say all the time... When people, when people die and go to heaven. They say, well, God they, God needed another angel or a rose in his garden. Neither one. Neither one. That's spiritual ignorance. That's Bible ignorance. And as the men know, ignorant is really spelled I-G-N-E-R-N-T. Ignorant. That's just so ignorant. That doesn't even qualify for Ignorant. It's just so bad. It's ignorant. I know y'all are in central Pennsylvania, but down in southern Pennsylvania, they talk like that. We're created in the image of God. We never become angels. We would have to step down to become an angel. And I know it says in Psalms that we're made a little lower than the angels, but it's a misrepresentation. You, you, you have, that's King James, and you have to, you have to study. It's actually the Hebrew word is Elohim. We're created a little lower than the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, but we're created in their image. Come on, somebody. So we're created in the image and likeness of God to procreate. We're not a creator, but we're a procreator. In other words, God has given everybody in his image and after his likeness. Do you know that, that that's why the that's why worldly unsaved people can make th- make things. They can design things, too. It's not just Christians. Here's the problem is many Christians are not busy doing that. Many Christians are so passive. We just we just settled to become a consumer instead of a creator. Better not get me started on that. Why aren't we getting the promotions? Why aren't we getting the corner office? Why aren't we business owners? It's not because God's withholding anything from us. It's because we settled. Come on. And we just, we just let the aggressive take everything by force. Well, the Bible says the kingdom of heaven suffers aggression or violence, and the aggressors should take that before us. In other words, God, Jesus, said that in Matthew. Jesus told us that we could now have control over our airspace, the kingdom of heaven. That's not heaven, the third heaven. It means heavenlies. It means the dark places, the ether. We're supposed to be controlling our airspace. Come on. Different seminar. So he made us to where we could make things. So every one of us has created something. My youngest grandchildren are five and three. And the oldest one is five. She's a girl. And she's very dainty. She's a girly girl. And she is she is she is into fashion and into you know jewelry and into princess and, and 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 I tell you what when i visit them the first thing she looks at is me and if there's any sores on me of any kind she's just papa john papa john are you okay you have a sore right here you have you have a hole in your face <laughs> it's a pore it's a pore and it's grown you have a hole in your face are you okay she notices things like that. If I'm not manicured, I get in trouble <laughs> from a five-year-old. Papa John, your nails are way too long. Good thing I don't wear sandals and show her my toenails. So she's into that, and she's she can draw. I mean, she just has a draw. Why? Because girls... With the right part of their brain, they have that creativity and they see things guys don't see. Yeah. Guys, you should, g- g- ladies, don't, don't be afraid to say amen. You know it's the truth. What if I say amen? He won't take me out to lunch. Yes, he will. You have the checkbook, he has to take you out to lunch. So, but Quincy, he's three. And he's always building something. He's up at five thirty every morning, every single morning, five thirty. No, no alarm clock. He's just up. And Quincy went from crawling to running. And so they they have a pyramid beam at home, so they have wooden floors, and so they know when he's awake because. Now, he's not staying in place, but he runs that fast. The noise is like that. He's running all over the house with that wood floor. And he's running over here, and he's running over there, and he's, he's getting out the toy box, and he's getting this stuff, and he's getting this place. He's going to build something. He's going to make something. He's, he's industrious. What is he? He's the youngest. He just, he's closer to the image of God. He hasn't been polluted and corrupted by the world yet. Hello? And so he's he's got life pegged all the way over all day long. (laughs) And he never goes to sleep. He just passes out. You know, when I was a kid, my dad was a rodeo cowboy. My brother's four years older than me, and we were we were in a car all the time, a pickup all the time, went with horse trailer or whatever. I mean, we're all over the, all over the nation, especially the West and the Southwest. We're all over the place, even the Midwest. We're all over the place. I mean, he might get on a, get off a bull one night and have to be heading the, the next rodeo by noon the next day to it, do an entry and, and et, cetera, et cetera, and get on a horse over there. So there ain't no motel room. We're sleeping in the car, although. There were no seatbelts back then. And there were certainly no child restraint systems. So we were unrestrained. We drove our parents crazy in the middle of the night. Because you could crawl under the seat back then because there's nothing under the seat. You could crawl between the sidewall of the car and the seat. You, so you could, you, and we could lay in the back window. It was half an acre back there. It was huge. Anybody remember that? We look at the stars. Whoa, what's that? We, we the shooting stars, and I mean, we're, we're loud. We're all over the place. And, you know, my dad, my mom's driving. My dad's trying to sleep, or my dad's driving. My mom's trying to sleep. And we're 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 just ruckus all the time. Why? Because we're full of life. You have to acquire depression, folks. Depression is not normal. You acquire it. The enemy bombards us with feelings, words. And he often does it through music and entertainment. They don't make kids prozac. Antidepressant. Why? Because kids aren't depressed. Oh, kids can get upset, but they're not depressed. Right? That's another topic. But he'll be drawing something. And I'll walk in and say, Quincy, wow, that's an amazing bear. Kind of a question mark. <laughs> Pop John, that's no bear. Bell. That's no bell. That's a lion. Okay, all right, good. The reason he, you can't decipher what it is, even though he tries hard, is little boys, that right side of their brain's not quite developed yet. And even the muscles and the nerves in their hands are not fully connected to that right side of the brain yet. That has to be grown into. Girls are born like that. Boys are not. Don't get any ideas, ladies. Don't 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 you think it? Don't you say it? I could already see the wheels turning. But when he's five and six, he'll be able to do it. It'll he'll fill it in. He can't stay in the lines. Our granddaughter, she stayed in the lines. I mean, from from day one, almost. She's standing in the lines of, of, and she's very artistic. My point is, God made us to create. God made us to build. We've always bought them toys with no batteries, where they had to think. They either had to draw or they had to build something. We've bought all kinds of things where they could construct so, something out of these magnet toys, these plastics—I don't know what they're called—but I, I, I've bought a lot of them. And 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 Hot Wheels, like I had when I was, when I was a little boy, my, gave my son when when he was a boy, where he could build a track and and not electric, not battery-powered, and not screens. Amen. See what we're doing instead of create, creating creativity in our children. We're creating them to be consumers. While the Asian kids are graduating college at 15 and creating the screens and banking big bucks, our kids are getting screens from the government because they're in poverty. My preaching is way better than your shop. He created and destined us with a purpose Every one of us has been given a purpose. We're made with a purpose. God designed you on purpose. He was not just churning out mimeograph copies. I can say that with this older crowd because you know what mimeograph is. Young people don't know what that is. God did not make a copy out of any of us. He made us originals. That means we have great value and self-worth. And the enemy doesn't like that, and that's why he bombards us to try to make us mediocre. Swim around in the pool of mediocrity our whole lives and die. Often prematurely, having never fulfilled any destinies. That's exactly what the enemy is doing. We need to stand up and be counted. And let me tell you, it's not going to start out there in the marketplace. It's going to start on your knees at home. And then it's going to come into the church, and you'll you'll find out who you are in Christ. Come on, somebody. We must know who we are. God did not make us to be a copy. He made us to be originals, and he gave us an identity of who we're supposed to be. He formed us. We, We saw it. He destined us. He made us to be these things. Turn over to Titus chapter three. Titus chapter three. We'll look at this in the Amplified as well, starting in verse three. Titus chapter three, three verse three. Am I helping anybody yet? Let me let me let me say it to you this way. Just like Quincy, Papa John, that's not a bear bell. That's a lion. Nobody else has the legal authority. To give you an identity, except your creator. Not a teacher, not even a parent, not the culture. Come on, somebody. Not the military, not the education system, not a coach, not a music instructor. Only God has the right and the legal authority to give you identity because he's your maker. In the fifth grade, my brother had already left home when he was 11. In the fifth grade, I'm 10 or 11. My dad left home when I was four. All I have is my mom. My, my, my pet dog even died. That was my companion when my brother left. He left because of all the abuse. My mom was a drunk and a drug addict. So I had this fifth grade teacher. She was also the art teacher for all the elementary. Our elementary was first through uh, fifth grade, middle school, sixth grade. So she puts up six weeks before Mother's Day, she puts up this, this uh, uh, on an opaque projector, this screen of all these images of dishes and bowls, et cetera, vases, etc. Then you could choose which one you, you wanted to make for your mother for Mother's Day. And none of them were named. In other words, you, you couldn't make it into anything, but those were the kind of the, the, the benchmarks or the, the goal. So I I like this one particular bowl, and you're going to make it out of clay. I knew that a vase would be really hard to make out of clay, but I could make a bowl out of clay, and so it was about this big around. It was this deep, and I made a lid for it, put three legs on it, which were made out of uh, uh, clay as well, but they were seahorses. Now, I was in Fort Worth, Texas at the time. That's a long way from the sea, but... But that that was just an idea I got. The handle on the lid was a seahorse. The lid was the hardest to make because, you know, to have that seahorse on a lid and, you know, lifting it back and forth, it's hard to keep it on there. But also, you had to put a lip on the bottom of that lid to keep it within the, within the vase so it wouldn't fall off, or the, the dish so it wouldn't fall off. And, of course, I... Made it, kiln-dried it, glazed it, presented it to my mom with some of those Brock peppermints that I'd raised enough money with my um, paper route. I flew, uh, I threw the Fort Worth Star-Telegram newspaper. And, you know, I, I didn't get much money out of that. It was hard work, but I was glad to get it. But I bought this bag of Brock individually wrapped peppermints. They still sell them today. I filled it up and then had some leftover, and I presented that to my mom. I wrapped it up in some tissue paper that I found somewhere. I didn't buy it. I found it somewhere and wrapped it up, put a bow on it, and that was my Mother's Day. I made her own Mother's Day card. I drew it and painted it out myself. She's all I've got, and she wasn't perfect at all. She was a backslidden Spirit-filled person. So she was most miserable. But she's all I've got left. She was abusive to me, the whole thing. But she's all I've got. I presented that to her, and she went through those peppermints, and then she filled it up with the leftover peppermints. I think she bought one more bag of peppermints and used it for, used it for a candy dish. That's what it was. It was a candy dish. And she used it for a candy dish. And then she started using it for an ashtray. Now think about a dish this big, this thick, full of butts. Big butts, little butts, ugly butts, don't look around. All kinds of butts. (laughs) Nasty. Filthy. Dirty. Smelly. I said, Mom, what are you doing? This is a candy dish, not an ashtray. Well, I just needed a bigger ashtray. Well, don't use the candy dish. I made this for you as a candy dish, and it actually offended me. I wasn't born again. It offended me. You got to be kidding me! And then I had chores, and part of that was to empty the empty the ashtray out of the ashtray. So not only am I having to see this and smell this and breathe this trash. I have to put my hands on it and empty it out. All nasty. Come on. I've always said if smokers had to actually clean up themselves instead of just flick their butts out the window and dump it at this four-way stop. Come on, somebody. If they had to follow it through all the way, they'd stop smoking because it would be such a hassle. If they could actually smell and realize what they're doing to all the rest of us. Anyway. I lived without a home my whole life. So here we are, got this nasty, nasty thing. And I could never convince her, Mom, this is not an ashtray. It's a candy dish. And just a few years ago, my mom stopped smoking. She's 90 years old now, and she finally stopped smoking. Why? Because my brother and I pay our bills. And we don't give her enough money for cigarettes. So she had to stop smoking. She's still rebellious. She's been kicked out of many of the homes we've had her in. We've had her in the Baptist, the Methodist, the Catholic, the Church of Christ, the Christian church homes. She'd cuss them all out. Start rumors about them, be ugly to them, be nasty to them. And they're there, they're there to just take care of her. And they, these are all nice places. These are not these are not you know end of the line places. But it just comes from somebody in the backslidden state. They just don't they just don't see what they need to see. They don't see they don't see life as real. And so here she is. She stopped smoking. Because she moved so many times, there were years we did not even know where she was. That lid broke. But she still has that that dish. And finally, there are peppermints back in that dish. And when I saw that, the Lord spoke to me. And this is why I'm using it as an illustration. He says, This is like the church. God didn't create any losers. God didn't create foolishness. God didn't make us mediocre. God made us champions and originals. But yet, because we're polluted, so polluted from the world, we've traded what God made us to be into something that has brought devastation into our lives. Smelly, dirty, nasty. Because we thought it was more important. Folks, we need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to reality. Now listen, I'm not talking from growing up in a church. I'm not talking from a position of being a Christian all my life. I grew up in the projects. I grew up in hardness. I grew up in a a drunk and a drug addict's home. My dad earned and won millions of dollars. In rodeo and sales and business, but he gambled away millions of dollars. My dad was not only a rodeo champion and in the Hall of Fames of many, many places in the United States National Cowboy Hall of Fame, Pro Rodeo Cowboy Hall of Fame, Texas Rodeo Cowboy Hall of Fame. But my dad died broke, defeated. Why? Because he never. Wanted to discover his destiny in God. My mom's yet to die, but she looks dead. But she's still re- rebellious. Somebody asked me the other day that's known my mom. Is your mom still living? I said, yes, she's too mean to die. And I don't mean that ugly. That's reality. When you get kicked out of all these homes, you're mean. You're ugly. We get calls all the time. And I live 400 miles from her. But I get calls from in those homes. What do I do with your mom? How how, how do I? That's the manager. Your mom, she won't do anything we ask her to do. She won't do anything. She doesn't follow any rules. And she just cusses out everybody in the building. But yet, she tells everybody her sons are pastors and ministers. Don't tell people that. We thought about changing our names because of it. It's sad. I'm just telling you, you know, I, you see, many times they, people just assume all of us preachers, you know, come from the saintly home, And cetera. No, 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 no. I grew up in the school of hard knocks. But you see, my dad was this champion, etc., cetera, et cetera, but he died broke. He died an in invalid. Alzheimer's destroyed his mind. And we're talking about a brilliant man. Tough guy. Marine, Korea, athlete, rodeo cowboy champion. My dad was in all kinds of movies with Audie Murphy and Ben Johnson. He was in movies with uh, uh, Nolly on uh, Gunsmoke, Buck Taylor, Ken Curtis. His most famous movie was in McClintock with John Wayne. My dad was in all these movies, but he died with nothing. We had to help bury him. Hello? Why? Well, the devil's just a bad devil. No, that's not it. Because the devil's a bad devil for everybody. It's because he didn't know his identity. Now, how do we discover identity? Well, have you found Titus chapter 3 yet? Look at, look at this. For we also were once thoughtless, senseless, obstinate, disobedient, deluded, and misled. In other words, it's talking about what we were before we were born again. We were all those things. It's also describing what an unbeliever is like. You can't blame an unbeliever for being an unbeliever. Right? It goes on and says, We too were once slaves to all sorts of cravings and pleasures and wasting our days and malice and jealousy and envy, hateful, hated, detestable, and hating one another. Thank God that's not the end of the chapter. Look at verse 4. This is one of those, but when, or it says in the King James, but God. Don't you love the but gods in the Bible? But when, the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior to man as man appeared. Jesus came as a man. He saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but because of his own pity and mercy by the cleansing Bath of the new birth, the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is the good news, which he poured out <coughs> so richly upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Next verse. And he did it in order that we might be justified by his grace, by his favor, wholly undeserved, that we might be acknowledged and counted as conformed. Say conformed. This is what separates Winners from losers in the body of Christ. Are you conformed to this, or are you conformed to the world? But we're supposed to be conformed to the divine will in purpose, thought, and action. We're supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ, not the image of the world. I've done over 250 public school assemblies with junior high and high school kids all over America, all over North America, Canada. I talk to them about their image. I talk to my grandsons about and my granddaughters about identity and image all the time because the pressure is on them to conform to the world. That's what I'll talk to my oldest grandson about tomorrow. And they appreciate it because nobody else is speaking that into their lives. All of our grandkids want to spend time with us. Why? Not just because we give them gifts, but because we speak into their lives and we believe in them and we, we know that God has a call of God upon their lives in some form or fashion. That doesn't mean they're going to be preachers. But they want to spend time with us because of what we sow into them. Come on. In other words, I still have influence over my kids, over my grandkids. Now watch this. Our identity as believers is rooted in Christ alone. Nobody else. Nothing else. But what happens? The enemy knows that if we're rooted in Christ, he has no hope to turn us. So that's why he comes against us in the beginning, before we can even know Christ, to pressure us. Some people say, well, I didn't have any influence over my children, so I know I don't have any over my grandchildren. Well, the Bible begs to differ. The Bible says that you still have influence over them. You can still pray over them. You can still speak into their lives. Well, it makes my, ch- my kids mad if I do that. Tough stuff. I want to read a scripture to you. They don't have it in the back. I didn't tell them that I was going to do this. Say this with me, Psalm 112. I think you can remember that, Psalm 112. This is what it says, especially men. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man. Now, do you you think David knew who men were and who women were? So he said man, and this means man. Not mankind, this is man, the male. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, that delights greatly in his commandments. I have a question for you. This is not the men's conference anymore, but there, there are more men here than there were yesterday. I don't know where the rest of you were yesterday. I can say this because I'm going to leave this afternoon. So, <laughs> Pastor wants to say it, though. How many of the men in this room, I'm not asking you to lift your hand. How many of you actually fear the Lord? You revere him. You honor him. You live for him. That's what fearing the Lord means. That mean you're afraid of God. It means you respect and honor and value him. A lot of people would say that, but they don't do the second part. That delight greatly in his commandments. Delight greatly in his word. Every male here delights greatly in something. May not be your wife, may not be your children, but you delight greatly in something. Well, how would we find out? Look at your checkbook. What you spend your money on. You don't have good food, but you got a great cable. You got a great dish outside. How many guns have you got? How many pickups do you got? Have you dolled out your pickup? You know, a new pickup. You know, the high-end pickups cost eighty thousand dollars now, more twice as much as my first house. I didn't say this to the men this weekend, but men protect what they value. Some men, they'll they'll spend $80,000 on tools or more. And they'll protect those tools. Ain't nobody touching my tools. And I understand why. I used to make my living with tools as a carpenter, as a builder. And it's not fun when somebody takes takes your mud knife and uses it as a scraper or a chisel and ruins it. Because they're expensive. I don't buy cheap tools because you, when you make your living with them, you want, you want the best because you, you, you need to create the best. But yet you got people that abuse it. So I understand that, protecting those things. I'm not against it. But if I don't greatly delight in the Word, His commandments, my tools are not going to help me. My pick-em-up truck's not going to bless me. Come on. It's actually going to become a curse to me. I delight greatly in his commandments. And when it says that, there's promises involved. So I fear the Lord. I value him. I delight greatly in his commandments. It says his seed shall be mighty upon earth. Mighty, strong, powerful, honored, respected. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. Those are God's promises. This is not the only place. But Psalm 112 spells it out plain as day if we would fear God and stop fearing boss man yeah. Yeah. and delight greatly in his commandments, my children and my seed will be mighty. When my son served under my brother when he was pastoring. My brother didn't even know he worked. My son worked there. He said, Chris, Chris, I keep seeing you around here during the day, don't you have a job? He said, well, yes, sir, I work here. <laughs> so my brother didn't hire him, but my my son was volunteering Talk, we we got on this conversation earlier. My son was just coming and volunteer he had a job, <clears throat> but he would come and volunteer and so the the department head over that and w- was a pastor associate pastor he said chris he said. Uh would you consider working here and he, he said well I'd have to pray about it but he said you're actually doing a better job in this department as a volunteer than the hired guy is I'd like to hire you and I'll just reposition this other guy where he's better suited We're not going to kick kick him to the curb, but but he's just not doing the job. And so my son took over this department, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. He was there for 14 years. And the Lord impressed upon him it's time for him to move on and do something different, and that's what he did, and that's what he's done with their blessing. He still has lunch with his his cousin, uh, oldest cousin, which is... Uh, the the pastor of the church now uh, every two weeks they live down the street from each other so I mean they're, they're good friends nothing negative happened but but my brother said this when he was the senior pastor he said if, if I had ten Chris Georges I could change Tulsa he didn't say that just because he's my brother he didn't say that just because he's his nephew. My brothers had thousands of people work for him. I said, why do you say that? He says, because he's honorable. Mm -hmm. Enough said. Mm -hmm. Enough said. Mm -hmm. Why is he honorable? Because he fears the Lord and delights greatly in the commandments. Mm -hmm. Am I helping anybody yet? Now, let me wind this down. Pastor said I had to give it back to him by 3 o'clock, and and so I need to hurry. Look with me at Galatians chapter 2. This is one of the great scriptures in the New Testament. Galatians is right after Corinthians, 2 Corinthians so Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Most of us can quote this. I am crucified with Christ, and nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I, which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look at this on the, on the screen, the Amplified. It says I am crucified in the King James, which is uh, not an accurate translation. And the thing about the Amplified, it pulls out the Greek definitions. It says, I have been. One translation says, I was crucified with Christ. In him, I have shared his crucifixion. Now, now wait, 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 just a moment. What, what? I shared his crucifixion? You mean I was there? That's what sharing means, Right. How did I share in his crucifixion? Well, if we were to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He who knew no sin was made to be sin. Made to be sin. It wasn't Jesus' sin that put him on the cross. It was my sin. It was your sin. That's how we share in his crucifixion. It was our sin that put him on the cross. He never sinned. But he became sin. The sin of the world was put upon him, says another verses. The sin of the world, the sin of all mankind was laid upon him was put upon him. That's why his family members could not recognize him. Which one is he? Which one is he? Isaiah said his visage was marred. He was so he wasn't just beaten beyond recognition, although that's true, but sin tainted his body. Does sin taint people's bodies? Does sin corrupt people's bodies? Does sin ruin people's bodies? Yeah, sure it does. Sure it does. Smoking and alcohol constrict your blood vessels. That's why people get real flush in their face and drawn, et cetera, et cetera, because there, there's no more life flow in there, the blood life flow. Those blood vessels have constricted. They've, they've backed off. And stuff starts dying, flaking. I could go on. It destroys your lungs, et cetera, et cetera. I could just keep going. So it, it, it makes you look bad. We've seen the maybe the commercials or the billboards even that say, before meth, you see this beautiful person. After meth, you see this hideous-looking creature. Before tobacco, you looked one way. After tobacco, you looked this way. True? We've seen those. Why is it? Because it's sin. God never intended us to consume those things. God never intended us... To live in sin. Because sin destroys you. Galatians chapter 6 says that. Talking about God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. For if a man sows to his flesh, he shall of the flesh reap corruption or ruin, destruction. In other words, your flesh destroys you. But if you sow to the Spirit, you shall of the Spirit, and others the Spirit pays you back life and life everlasting. Amen. So flesh is either gonna destroy you when you sow to it, or you sow to the Spirit, and that Spirit pays you, grows you, develops you, flourishes you. Come on somebody. Amen. This is easy math! He goes on and says, y'all are really, they really good. Go back to chapter two. So chapter two, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. In him, I shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live. You can't tell that about most Christians. Most Christians are doing their own thing. I don't care what the Bible says. I already read the Bible. I don't, I don't interpret it that way. Oh, boy, you need to run your face into this as fast as you can. You need some stupid slapped off of you. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Wait a minute. You sound like a 17 year old. Somebody's telling you what to do, somebody's influencing your life, somebody's jerking your t- chain. But is it the right somebody? Probably not. Or as they say on the street, probably not. Probably not. It's no longer I who live, but Christ, the Messiah, lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the body, or I live by faith or in the body, I live by faith in. Now, this is what I'm getting to, and I'm closing. What does it mean to live in faith? What does it mean to live by faith? We're commanded all through the Old and the New Testament to walk by faith, to live by faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. We're not supposed to live by the flesh. We're supposed to live by faith. What does that mean? What does it mean to live a life of faith? It's not what most people think. If a person says to you, or you've even said, well, my faith is and imparted to me, my faith is so special it's just so special. I'm just scared to death of what's gonna to happen to my babies over here. You're not in faith. If you if you have to tell people that your faith is important to you, you're probably not in faith. It ought to be really obvious that you're walking by faith. It's not it's not covert. Living by faith. If you have to to tell people that you're living by faith, you're probably not in faith. I don't want to hide my faith. My faith is just so personal. It's just so personal. It's nobody else's business. It's just my business. When you say that, you are woke. You're not in faith. You might not even be saved. You might not even be going to heaven. Because that's not from your Bible. That's from the culture. That's from religiosity, which is dead. Religion is dead. Nobody has to ask me, Are you married? Not just because I wear a wedding band, but because of how I conduct my life. I act married, I live married. Come on, somebody. Nobody has to ask me if I'm married. Are you married? Hello? Nobody has to ask me if I'm Texan. It's obvious I'm Texan. I'm Texican. Born, bred. I was a missionary to Oklahoma for over 20 years, but I came back to my census. Moved back 20 years ago to Texas. But I'm supposed to be living this. So what does faith really look like? This is a great description. Throughout throughout the New Testament in the Amplified Version, when you see the word believe and faith, this this is what it describes. By adherence to. I adhere to faith. In other words, I'm conjoined with it. We could look at those verses too. Don't have time. I'm conjoined with it. I'm one with faith. Faith is one with me. I just don't hang around faith. I'm talking about Bible faith now. What I believe in my heart, what I speak with my mouth. I'm not talking about some private thing that nobody knows about. That's not faith. I adhere to it. We've heard people tell us, I hear people tell me this all the time. Well, I've tried that faith stuff, and it was just not for me. Or they'll say, I'm just so glad you're a faith person, but I just didn't identify with that. Why not? You're committed to walk by faith. Hello. Lights are on, but nobody's home. You know what that's like? That's like saying to my wife, "Darling, I'm really trying to be married to you." I better have a soft soft couch. I'm just really trying to be married. You know, you don't try to be married, you commit. You know there're days I don't feel married. But what scripture says, you need to feel married. You don't marry by feeling. Marriage affects your feelings. I don't walk by faith by feeling. Faith affects my feelings. But I don't walk by feeling. Come on. I don't try it. I don't feel it. I adhere to it. I'm joined with it. Come on, somebody. You can't separate me from it. It can't be separated from me. Amen. Amen. A Jewish rabbi who was captured by the Nazis during World War II, incarcerated in one of the death camps. While he was in there, he wrote things down on pieces of fabric or paper, boxes, whatever he could find. And he survived the death camp. If you could see pictures of him, he was so emaciated. My wrist was bigger than his legs, than his thighs. Horrible. Death warmed over. Sunken eyes, sunken, and he lived and became a great businessman and became extremely successful. And he started writing books, and they asked him this question, how did they not break you? They did brain surgery on him with no anesthetic. One of my research papers in in school was the Nazi regime and what they did. What they did, what what the SS did to these men, what what the Gestapo did. It was it was horrible. Hitler was demon possessed, and many of his generals were. And I do want to add this little tidbit of information because of history. In 1936, when the Nazi party was established and he became the chancellor of Germany, the Lutheran Church of Germany endorsed him. Only two pastors in the Lutheran Church did not. One was named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you can ever read anything of Bonhoeffer, you need to. And another pastor, I don't remember his name, but I, he was not as vocal, but they were the only two that renounced Nazism and would not endorse Hitler. And they were both beheaded and murdered. And, and, and drug, drug through the streets. Bonhoeffer was drug through the streets. If I remember correctly. But this rabbi was asked, why and how did you make it through? He said, they could take my limbs. They could take my family. They could take my children. They could take my wife. But they could never take my faith. He's joined with it, you see. It's one. You see, we're not serving some icon on a cross somewhere. He comes to live within us by the Holy Spirit. We are one with him. So to walk by faith, that means I adhere to this. I don't try it. I don't attempt it. I live by it. It's who I am. It's not just what I do. It's who I am. Amen. There's the difference in the church today.
0: Well, we just go to church because it's the right thing to
5: do. Well, where's your family? Well, I just don't believe in making anybody come to church. You make them go to school? You make them brush their teeth. You see, it was never an argument in our home. This is what we do. This is who we are. This, this is not just something we do. This is who we are. Never never had to badger my children to go to church. Even when their friends are on sports teams on Wednesday nights and on Sunday afternoon or Sunday mornings in tournaments, we don't do that. And my children are grateful for it. And their children go to church because that's what they do. <clears throat> that's who they are. So we not only adhere to it, we rely on. I rely on him. I trust in him with a complete trust. In other words, I don't try everything else and then I try God. I don't do everything else, in a, you know, in my own strength and then I pray. No, I pray first. I rely upon God first. He, he is He is in me. He lives on the inside of me by the Holy Ghost. This is not just some action or activity. You can't separate us from the love of God. You can't separate us from Him. My identity is in Him. My whole life is made. I'm formed To be molded into the image of him, not the image of the world and the culture, but the image of him. And that is weird to the world. But I don't have to hold account for the world. I have to hold account for me. And you for you. Well, how do we become and have this identity? How does it work? How did Jesus find his identity? He looked into this. If that's God, ask him how I'm doing so far. (laughs) If Jesus had to look into this book to find out who he was, what do you think we need to do? You see, this is not just a book. This is God's Word. Jesus was this in the flesh. The Word was made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word was made flesh. Jesus has always been. Who has He been? The Word. So if I need... If I'm supposed to be molded in his image, I need to be molded to the word. Or yeah. yeah. well, where do you start? Table of contents. People freak out sometimes because new believers want to read Revelation. Oh, don't read Revelation. No, you won't understand it. Why not? Why not read Revelation? It's far more entertaining than Hollywood. It's far more outrageous than Hollywood. It's bizarre. All the weird creatures are not on Star Wars. They're in Revelation. So what do we have to be afraid of? I suggest you start in Matthew. Read the life of Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go into Acts Spent a lot of time in John because he was, he was the disciple Jesus loved. That's my name too, so I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Read all of them. But if you just stop at John and you don't go into the epistles, you'll find out the life of Christ and who he was. But if you don't read the epistles, you won't find out who you are in the church. Because the epistles were written to the church. That's why we're 175 times the phrase in him in whom of him of whom is used to describe who we are in him. Over 175 times. So highlight those. Do a study, highlight those. Make that your evening news. Make that your morning your morning crossword. My dad wrote crosswords every morning. I mean, 5 a.m. every morning. He he got a Houston Chronicle and he's on the crossword and he's got his cup of coffee and his eggs and and he's doing the crossword every day. It didn't help his mind. He died of Alzheimer's, 10 years of Alzheimer's. It was painful to watch. It was disgusting. It's, It's demonic. What could he have done? He could have looked in the word of God and found out who he was in Christ. He could have come out of that. So I know I've been long and I've been strong. I didn't mean to rhyme, but that's okay. But it's time for the church to be church, the church. Jesus is coming soon. And the enemy knows it, and that's why he's ratcheted up the attacks. And we've got to stand against him in faith. But we need to know who we are first. I told this to the men in closing yesterday yesterday. We need to know who we are and walk in that position. It's a position of victory. It's a position of faith. We're not trying to gain victory. We operate from a position of victory. Jesus has already defeated the enemy. He's under my feet. So I don't have conversations with the devil. I command the devil. I don't have a conversation with him. He's tried to have a conversation with me. I tell him to shut up. Don't be polite to the devil. Don't call him Mr. Devil. He's a pervert. Don't don't be nice to him. Hello? Tell him where to go. Tell him where to get off. But before that, there's a very vital thing you must do. You see, James 4, 7 doesn't just say resist the devil and he will flee. It first says submit yourself therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee. If we're not submitted to God, what does that mean? Submit. Sub means under. Move is what mit means. Position or move. We're to move ourselves under the Lord. Now watch this. This is what most Christians have done. We go where we want to go. We sing whatever we want to sing. We act any way we want to act. We read anything we want to read. We watch on TV, in the movies, whatever we want to watch. And it doesn't end up so well. And so we ask the Lord to bless it. Lord, bless my mess. There's even plaques at Hobby Lobby that say that. Lord, bless my mess. Isn't that asking the Lord to submit to you? Lord, I'm going to do everything I want to do. I want to go anywhere I want to go. I want to watch and listen to anything I want to listen to. I, I, I want my tunes and my playlist. I want to listen to whatever I want to listen to. But, but Lord, I want you to bless me and bless my family and bless my life. I travel all over this nation, and I talk to homeless people everywhere I go. And they all have this same mantra. I pray every day. I pray every day. Drug Drug addicts will tell you, I pray every day. Hello? I've been in mental institutions visiting my mom. That's no fun. And they put those people in there, yeah, I pray every day. I read a Bible every day. I have a Bible and I read it. This is my Bible and I read it every day. Then what's the disconnect? What's the disconnect? They're not doers. They're doing their own thing. They're making their own choices and they're not submitted to his lordship. Lordship is the issue, folks. The Bible does not say if we confess Jesus as Savior, we'll be, we'll, we'll be whole, we'll be saved. It says we confess him as Lord. That's what it says in Romans 10, 9, and 10. That thou shalt confess the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Salvation is a byproduct of lordship. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Lord shall be saved. The centurion, Roman soldier, came to Jesus and said, Lord, he could have been, he could have been crucified for that. He could have been canceled. He could have been destroyed by Caesar. Nobody's supposed to call anybody but Caesar Lord. But one of his own centurion over over 150 soldiers calls Jesus Lord twice Salvation, healing, prosperity, blessing, wisdom, protection are all products of lordship. I'm amazed. People go to all these seminars all over the world trying to get more faith and more authority. And all you got to do is bow your knee to his lordship. And those are automatic. I don't have to beg God for protect, to protect me every plane I get on. I don't have to beg God to protect my family when I'm away. I've been, I've been traveling since 1985. Nothing's ever happened in my family. And it won't. Why? Because Jesus is our Lord. I may leave the house, but the Lord never leaves the house. Come on. This is ABCs. This is where we've missed it. We're trying to become something he's already made us. Say this with me and I'll I'll pray. I'm quickly becoming who I already am. Say it again. I'm quickly becoming who I already am. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you, Lord, for those people that are calling wondering where we are. Thank you, Lord, for your wisdom, your power, your authority. Thank you, Lord, for this church that you've raised up and you've purposed and you have a plan, you have a design for the last days. To take all of us and, and this city to a new level, a new degree of understanding, a new degree of faith, a new degree of authority, a new degree of victory. That's why it's called victory. It's not just so we can have a nice name. It's so we can walk in victory. It's so we every, every member, every person that attends here can walk in victory and live in victory and be grateful for victory. Not defeat. Not oppression, not lack, not fear, not sickness, not dread, but victory. We thank you for it. Would you pray this prayer out loud with me? I'll lead you in a prayer. Say it like you mean it. Heavenly Father, I believe in you and that you love me. And you sent me your son, Jesus. To pay the price for my sin. It was my sin he took to the cross. And I'm so grateful. I'm appreciative. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. And he lives forevermore. At the right hand of the throne of God. And he's invited me there. And he's positioned me there. As a believer. And according to the word of God. I'm now, saved I'm now saved because I confess Jesus, I confess Jesus as, my Lord. as my Lord. Help me be the, Christian, Help me be the, Christian. the Christian, the victorious Christian that you design me to be, me to be. In, Jesus name. in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
1: The best thing for us to do now is to continue in the word. Cuz when you continue in it, then you know it, and when you know it, you be you are made free. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. But you got to get in it. You got to continue in it, and you know it, and what you know makes you free. Yeah. You know the woman with the issue of blood, her her miracle was self-initiative. She believed God. Jesus was walking to someone else's house. But she made her way to him, and he said, Daughter, go in peace. Your faith has made you whole. Amen. Let's stand up if you can stand up. Hallelujah. Say, Thank you, Jesus, Jesus. for your word, for your your life. life. You are the way, you are the the truth, truth. and you you are my life. You are my victory. You are, my, um, oh, you, are my you are my wealth in Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. Have an awesome and wonderful day. Amen. And uh, be a blessing as you can. God bless you. Hallelujah.